Hey, what's up? Good morning. Matt Wyatt here. Thanks for tuning in to the Matt Wyatt Podcast, the Sunday morning quarterback edition on this November the 11th. So welcome in. The show presented by Mississippi Land Bank, as well as Mississippi Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Farm Bureau agents, local agents, they are your home team. Give them an opportunity to uh, have your insurance business. And Mississippi Land Bank, visit mslandbank.com, and uh, they understand the lay of the land. Coming up first, going to recap the Mississippi State-Alabama game. Then I'll talk about the officiating. If you'd like to skip to that portion, go to the 1730 mark of this podcast, and then I'll recap the SEC. If you want to skip to that, go to the 31-minute mark of this podcast. The Sunday Morning Quarterback Podcast, presented by Mississippi Land Bank and Mississippi Farm Bureau, starts, oh, about right now. You're listening to the Matt White Podcast. Good morning, Sunday Morning Quarterback Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Matt Wyatt. Uh, the show, every Sunday morning, is presented by Mississippi Farm Bureau and Mississippi Land Bank. Farm Bureau is your home team. You need to give them a shot for your insurance. Um, they have life insurance. They also certainly uh, can cover your car and your home. They can bundle all that coverage for you. And the great thing about Farm Bureau is local agents who live right there in town with you or right down the road. You can get their cell phone number. If you have an issue or a question insurance-related, you don't have to talk to somebody three states over. You um, don't have to get on the phone with somebody from India. <laughs> Just go knock on the guy's door. You know, you get to have lunch with him on Monday. So, and that's what you want. Local agents, friendly service. You get that with Farm Bureau. Mississippi Land Bank. In North Mississippi, they understand the lay of the land. And if you ever have a land need, so like you're going to buy land for anything, it, certainly if you're a farmer, but even if it's recreational, you know, hunting land, um, things like that. If it's, you know, going to build that dream home, uh, for, uh, Mississippi Land Bank is who you want to do business with. They um, also, and certainly on the farming side of it, they know that, you know, farming is not just the simple life. It's big business, big equipment, employees, big spreadsheets, and, you know, um, loans. And so, they are farmers, they are hunters, they understand it, and the kind of folks that you want to do business with, that's at Mississippi Land Bank. Okay, so breaking down and taking a look, a closer look at Alabama's 24 to nothing win over Mississippi State. The overall idea is this in the game is that um, Mississippi State's defense consistently throughout the year, home and away, has been good enough to give the team a chance to win some games. Um, and in some cases, more than good enough. But the other side of that is the state offense this year, home and away, hasn't been as good enough. hasn't been good enough, and hasn't been as consistent as you have to be uh, to win football games. And certainly on the road, uh, they haven't been that. You know, they've been a much different offense at home in Starkville um, than they have on the road, and against better teams, better defenses it's there there's not a lot of in between you know you can you see a you know a 350 yard rushing outburst against auburn in a win and four touchdown passes in the first half against la tech and you know a, a great offensive game against texas a&m but on the road at kentucky and lsu and alabama they don't really scratch 
you know, and the totals are way down there. Now, again, this is an Alabama team that's really, really good all the way around. Um, in a lot of ways, you're not necessarily surprised that Alabama could shut some teams out this year. But I think the other part of that is this, as good as the Mississippi State defense is, the offense um, just cannot execute at a high enough level to score points on the better defenses they're playing. And that's just uh, the way it is. When there's not a decided, you know, physical advantage or, you know, when State has the physical advantage, the offense goes out there and plays well and scores and runs the ball and they complete stuff. But but in games like, uh, well, really you look at, you know, the the four games that they've lost, Kentucky on the road, early Florida at home and then LSU and Alabama on the road all four of those defenses just shut state down and so uh, what that means is not a capability thing to me it's a consistency and an execution thing and I know it sounds like coach speak but what it the way I was talking with my dad on the way home from the game last night and the way I worded that was the the level of execution that they can get to on the offense at this point, it just isn't good enough. It's not consistent enough, and they can't execute it enough against the better defenses they're playing. And that's why, you know, on the road against Alabama, um, even on a game when I I thought Nick Fitzgerald played pretty doggone well, you know, um, 11 of 20, 125 yards passing, no TDs, no picks. When you're considering that, you know, he had he couldn't run the ball, got sacked a bunch, and you have negative 23 yards for him rushing. So he's out of his game, but he took care of the ball, and, he, and at times he made a few throws he had to make. Uh, he had to make. He did have a touchdown throw and play to Kylan Hill uh, before halftime. That was uh, egregiously taken away from him. He did have a fourth down conversion throw. He hits a tight end in the belly at the end of the game. So he did some good things. But still, overall, the execution on the offense, just not good enough to uh, have a chance in the game. They only have 165, 169 yards of total offense in the ballgame and therefore zero points. But, you know, it should have had at least one touchdown on the game that they earned that a uh, bogus uh, call took off the board before halftime. More on that in a bit. Uh, on, the, on the defensive side of the ball, I would have to say that you know, I know it's 24 points and 300 yards for Alabama. And against any other opponent, that is not good enough. Uh, but I felt like against this opponent, it was a very good performance for State's defense. Outside of the first two drives. Now, the reality is the first two drives of the game for Alabama, they take the ball right on down the field and score, and it's 14 nothing. And on those drives, especially the first one, they really ran the ball. And so I talked about it in the pregame. It was kind of a prediction that I made, and, and it came true, is that Alabama came in there confident in their offensive line and their backs and said, okay, the best part of your defense, your defensive front, well, we're going to eliminate your – a lot of your pass rush and you coming after us on this first drive of the game because we're going to set the tone by running it right at your right into your teeth, and um, and they did that successfully. Okay, so it's fourteen nothing. 
your defense went three and out twice, and the defense get. I mean, your offense went three and out twice, and then the defense gives up those two drives without a whole lot of resistance on the first two drives of the game. It's fourteen nothing. Boom, right away. So, the, frankly, as good as the defense played throughout the rest of the game, they had a hand in uh, the fact that you know you're playing from minimum two scores down. Well, you, you know, right off the bat, you're playing from two scores down. They had a hand in that certainly. But I just think you do, considering what Alabama has been on offense all year long and what they are on offense, uh, you couldn't be more proud, frankly, of State's defense that after those first two drives away, they settled in and started to shut uh, Alabama down. Um, I'm pulling up the comparison here on the quarters. If, if I can pull it up here, I'm going to look at the third quarter because that was a quarter I know that there was not a lot of um, uh, yards in the in the game for Alabama. Yeah, okay, so you look at it this way. Um, in the first quarter, Alabama had 150 yards of offense. And so that means for the rest of the game, they had 150 yards combined in the second, third, and fourth quarters. Um, in the third quarter, out of the locker room, you know, it's a 21 nothing game. And in the third quarter, State allowed 24 yards of offense and then gave up another 65 yards in the fourth quarter. Uh, but that third quarter, State's defense really played well and uh, got off the field a bunch and hit the quarterback and kind of started to the, – the truth is, after those first two drives for the Alabama offensive line, which they were good now, and they ran the ball. I could say 150 yards in the first quarter, and 83 of those yards were on the ground in the first quarter. They were really good. But after that, State's defensive line handily won the physical battle at the line of scrimmage. And that's why the numbers are what they are. State's uh, defense held Tua Tagovailoa to 14 of 21 for 164 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. And that's in three quarters because, you know, he got banged up and he didn't play the fourth quarter. Backup goes in, goes three for six for negative one yard passing. Uh, State just turned it up now. now and Josh Jacobs uh, was really good. He was kind of, you know, maybe the difference in the game. You know, his ability to run the ball, 20 attempts for 97 yards and a TD. And so, really, you look, a, a team comparison, 169 yards for State. 305 for Alabama. What's the big difference? Fitz gets has 11 completions for 125. Tua has 14 for 164. Not a huge difference in the pass game. But Alabama had almost 100 yards more rushing than State did. And that's the difference. Alabama had 142 yards rushing. State had 44. Uh, for State, Kylan Hill, seven carries, 47 yards. That's an average of over six yards a carry, but he had that 38-yarder, which kind of stretched the average out a little bit. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, State's defense did some things to Alabama, and everybody said it. I said it during the week. If State's defense plays to their capability, they're going to put Alabama in some situations they haven't been in, and that happened. But the difference was Alabama's defense is l legit great, um, their safeties are, are unbelievable. Um, 
they uh, up front are kind of what they are. You know, they're good at linebacker. I don't know that they're um, great at linebacker. They're really good, Moses uh, and those guys. But Quentin Williams up front, and then that um, that safety duo. Uh, I think of uh, Thompson and McKinney. You know, probably the best in the country, right up there with them are the safeties at State, <laughs> and we saw that throughout the game. Um, you know, McLaurin and Abram. And on the other side for State on defense, I mean, uh, at the other level there on defense, Willie Gay, I-, I thought this is the kind of game that Willie is capable of every time he steps out there, and you're probably seeing the light bulb come on for him as a sophomore, and he is a he is a – future star at linebacker against that Alabama team Willie had nine tackles that led the team he had two sacks and he had the interception six of his nine tackles were solo that led the team he was really good Jeffrey Simmons and and Montez Sweat throughout the the better part of the game showed why they are legit first rounders and man they're first rounders all over the field uh when uh you know you look at the way Simmons and Sweat played the way Willie Gay played, Abram, Chauncey Rivers, some of those guys, Dantzler on defense. You look at Alabama's defense and some of the ways, uh, some of the way those guys played. Quentin Williams, McKinney is so good, and Mac Wilson and Bugs and Raquan and Moses. I mean, they were just NFL guys all over the place, and that was fun to watch. Even though the score was kind of stretched out there, uh, that was fun to watch. But I'll, I'll kind of wrap up the. Um, the recap of this game by the way that I started and, you know, several things that are facts about, about this game and about these teams. Uh, the fact is Alabama is the best team in the country and most well-rounded. The fact is they do have almost 70 players on their 85 roster that are four and five star players. They have the best roster of players in the country. It is not close. Now, yes, only 11 can be on the field at a time. Okay, so State is a team that's got like 18 four- and five-star players. That means State can get a lot of them on the field at a time. (laughs) But Alabama is – their roster is just otherworldly. And the fact is Bob Shoup and the defense went in there and fought them and I thought did a good enough job to – as a defense to – you know, keep you from getting embarrassed on a night when your offense could not do anything. And and that's the difference there is that State's offense is good and they do have potential. And when they play teams, especially at home, that they are as good or better than athletically, uh, State's going to do a lot of good things. They're going to rack up a lot of rush yards. They're going to score points. But the when they run up against these better teams that are probably better than them athletically, the execution level of the offense consistently, it's just not there enough to score points. And we've seen that now over a, a big cross-section of games. What it means for State is this week when Arkansas comes in there, they're going to have a chance to score a bunch of points. <laughs> and when they go to Ole Miss, they're going to have a chance to score a bunch of points. So the next two games, uh, the offense will probably be okay. I mean – you know, or or should be anyway. And defensively, you're probably going to have a big advantage in the next two. Uh, you're hoping that Landrews gets healthy. That's one thing. But C.J. Morgan, I thought, played really well in this Alabama game. 
They like his speed. I thought he played really well being thrust in there because of injuries and moved Abram up to that nickel slot because of the injury to Landrews a good bit and had C.J. Morgan on the field. Uh, so there's a little bit of a wrap-up in that. And then final stats, uh, Alabama ran 72 plays. State ran 50. Bama got 305 in a total offense, and State had 169. So if you look at average yards per pl- play, it's pretty close. Alabama averaged just barely over four yards per play, and State averaged three and a half. State actually had an average yards per completion in the pass game higher than Alabama did. State 11 and a half yards per completion, and uh, Alabama nine and a half. Uh, you see a big difference right there. Um, the sack yardage adjustment looked like it won a big uh, advantage for uh, State, at least in terms of the overall yardage. And if you, but if you look at the numbers, they actually had one more sack. State had four sacks in the game and seven tackles for loss, the one interception. And Alabama had five sacks in the game and ten tackles for loss. Uh, did not get an interception, did not force a, a fumble for State's offense, but they did recover one, a fumble, a muff punt that led to a score uh, in the special teams category. So I guess all in all, you know, turnover battle was a, a wash. Uh, probably should have had one more turnover, but um, the officials kind of botched that call at the beginning of the game also. All right, so I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to switch it over to um, the conversation about the officiating in this ball game. I'll preface it by saying that it's not something I do a lot, and that is harp on officials. Uh, I don't do it during the broadcast very much. Try not to. It's just a thing that generally what I do is – during the broadcast of our games, if there's something obvious that the listener does need to know, I'll just tell you if they miss a call. I'll tell you if they got it right. Um, I even botched one of those last night on the call where they threw the flag for pass interference early in the game on Chris Rayford on the throw down the field. And when I first watched it live, I said that I thought it was the right call because it looked like he might have hindered the – the receiver's ability to come back and get the ball. So actually on the broadcast, I said that to our listeners defending the call. And then when I saw the replay, I had to go back and correct it for our listeners on the broadcast because it was the wrong call. He didn't actually even touch him. Uh, So, you know, it can go either way, and I'm usually just trying to be objective on that. But this was a game where the – some of the things that that officiating crew, it's the crew with uh, referee Ken Williamson, uh, some of the things that happened in the game were just embarrassing for everybody, frankly, for embarrassing for all of us involved with the Southeastern Conference in any way, uh, embarrassing certainly for the officiating crew, um, definitely an embarrassment for Steve Shaw and the leaders at the SEC. And Steve's a really good guy. I've gotten to meet Steve and – you know, he's very trustworthy. He's always been very nice to me, but he is to others as well. He's somebody who is a good communicator. He's open and honest with the officials throughout the league, ADs and coaches. He doesn't run and hide. Steve's got big shoulders, and I think a lot of Steve Shaw. Uh, he was probably one of the best, if not the best, SEC official we've ever had uh, when he was actually an official. And so it's, you know, it's not an indictment on him at all. Uh, but it is embarrassing because, you know, he 
takes a lot of pride in it. He's a lot. He's a guy that's out in front on SEC officiating. He's the one that goes to the podium and the microphone at SEC media days. And then, of course, you know, the commissioner. I think it's embarrassing for him because, you know, people tweet him and talk about him. And like last week, the whole James Carville thing on game day and ESPN has to issue an apology. And I mean, it's embarrassing for anybody and everybody associated with the Southeastern Conference. And here's what I mean by that. You look at specifically that that call, uh, the phantom block in the back, <clears throat> excuse me, right before halftime that took uh, a touchdown off the board for Mississippi State. It was 21 to nothing. Um, last minute before half, State scores. It was going to make it 21 to 7, and then State would get the ball to start the third quarter. So it made a very much an, a different looking game and very interesting and whatever the ratings were would have been higher <laughs> for television viewership. I'm, I'm sure about, I'm sure they still were high. Um, it is the worst call by an sec official I've ever seen. I don't know how to say it more plainly without sounding like you're exaggerating. You know, I've seen bad calls. You know, you've seen sometimes there's a, a marginal block in the back or uh, recently a marginal targeting. And we've seen times when review processes kind of got botched here and there, but there might be a small margin there of doubt. And But this, considering the situation, considering what actually happened, which you could see very clearly on the replay, Dedrick Thomas runs a pass route into the end zone um, when it's thrown underneath to the running back who's trying to score, he does advance towards the defender who's going to come up and try to make the tackle at the pylon, but he never touched him. There was never any physical contact. He was a good yard away from the defender, extended his left arm as if to say, I know I'm supposed to block you, but I can't get there. And he never physically even made contact with the defender. And the official standing there just a few yards away throws his flag and calls block in the back, and it erases a touchdown. It is the worst call I've ever seen a Southeastern Conference official make. Here, if you don't hear anything else on this podcast, hear this. If you make that call, you cannot be allowed to put that uniform on and go back out there and do it again against any other SEC team or athlete. Let me say it again. I'm not saying find out who the guy is and put his name out there and ruin his you know his life. I, that is wrong. We're not saying that. What I'm saying is any official charged with officiating a game at the highest level in the best conference in America who is capable of making that call and does it simply cannot be allowed to go back out there. You can't do that. If, if you are a leader at the, in the Southeastern conference, a decision maker, some of the people I mentioned, the confidence that everybody throughout the league, it's not just one team, it's just anybody throughout the league, the confidence that anybody, coaches, players, administrators, and fans, the confidence that they have in you as conference leaders hinges on those kinds of things that it's not 
we're not, nobody's looking for an opportunity to demand you fire people. What we're saying is our confidence in you as leaders depends on this kind of thing, that it is so egregious that someone who could do it, if they make that mistake, you got to reassign them. You can't have someone capable of doing that, making that call, and then give them an opportunity to go make it again. And I'm, you know, Ken Williamson is the head official in there, and I'm sure he's a nice guy, and I'm sure he's very responsible. He's been an official for a while. Uh, you know, on a personal level, I'm sure he's fine. But what I, I think is the least surprising thing about all this for people who've been following SEC football for a while is that it this stuff went on with his crew. That's not surprising. It's a surprise to exactly nobody that it was that crew. He didn't make the call, but it's his crew. And again, that's a surprise to no one. Here's what's sad and a really a shame about it is it's not fair to players on the field. What do you mean by that, Matt? Well, here's why it's not fair. Let me give you some examples. That was right before halftime. And as that game, the most viewed game around the country, nationally televised on CBS in primetime, SEC game of the week, going to a national audience who they're going to watch the halftime, they're going to comment on it, and social media is going to be a buzz. The conversation should have been about all the plays the players made. I mean, the – Halftime conversation should have been, boy, look at how Alabama ran the ball. What a great job by Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs. The offensive line in the first quarter was outstanding. It should have been about the plays that Alabama's players made. I mean, they earned it. They're the ones who put in the work and the practice and went and performed it. (laughs) They're the ones, 89 yards rushing in the first half. 83 of those in the first quarter. The conversation at halftime should have been all about the effort by State's defense to allow only six yards rushing in the second quarter. It should have been all about their effort, both teams. But instead, the entire college football viewing world was pointing its finger and wagging it and laughing and snickering and making fun of the Southeastern Conference and its officials. That's what was going on. Because of that call, you have a moment in time where the entire football universe, instead of celebrating the players on the field and what they did, focusing on the game, getting ready for a a great upcoming second half, highlighting the individual players and what they earned on the field, instead of that, The entire country was laughing at the Southeastern Conference and its inept officiating. For everything that the SEC does so well, and it ain't just football, it's men's basketball too. For everything that the conference does so well, the best in the country in terms of marketing, the best in the country in terms of passion and fan support, the best in the country in terms of the people running it, Greg Sankey is is outstanding. The best ADs in the country collectively. The best coaches collectively. The best players in the country. For everything they do right, it is consistently the worst officiating in America. 
Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. Whatever the training process is, whatever the education process is, and whatever the hiring process is, in officiating in this conference, it is dysfunctional. The the stuff that goes on in this conference in officiating does not go on as often in other conferences. In football, in men's basketball, and especially in women's basketball. What goes on in women's basketball in the officiating arm of this conference is laughable. You can't do anything but laugh at it. You got to fix it. And And the way you start to fix it is with the understanding that if there are certain stunts that if you pull them as an official, you will not work as an official in this conference again. Sure, you can go to other conferences. Sure, you could work your way back up. But there has to be some level of accountability. And, and the fact is, texting ADs and coaches after the fact and talking to them on the phone and reviewing it and then blah, 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 that ain't good enough. And I'm looking at it from the standpoint of the players. Because I'm going to tell you something. There's Nick Fitzgerald, a senior quarterback. He's never going to get another shot to play on that stage in Bryant-Denny Stadium against the best program in the country. That was his last chance. And he threw a touchdown to a teammate just before halftime. It should have been potentially a career moment for Nick. A memory that will go up on his, you know, in his scrapbook for the rest of his life. And an inept official who has risen to his own level of incompetence jerked the rug out from under his feet and stole it from him. Kylan Hill, a running back, a kid from 45 miles right up the road, had to drive through his hometown to get to the game. Dreaming his whole life, working his whole life about making a big play on the biggest stage in America. Bryant-Denny Stadium, 100,000 people on the 2.30 game on CBS, right down the road from his home. All that blood, sweat, and tears, working his whole life for that moment. Worked the entire offseason. Get the job and make a play to score a touchdown airborne just before half. And an inept, dysfunctional official throws a flag for a block in the back when a player did not even make contact with the defender. The worst call I've ever seen in an SEC game and an official who has risen to his own level of incompetence. And I'm telling you, as a governing body, for the sake of the Nick Fitzgeralds and the Kylan Hills of the world, the athletes who you're supposed to be concerned about, you cannot give an official who will do that another chance to do it again. It's just the responsible thing to do. Next time it'll be Georgia. Next time it may be Alabama. Next time it may be Auburn. You can't give him a chance to do it again. Let's take a look around the rest of the SEC real quick here on the podcast. This is the um, Sunday Morning Quarterback Podcast. I'm Matt Wyatt. And appreciate you listening. It's presented by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team, Farm Bureau. 
and by Mississippi Land Bank. Visit mslandbank.com. You know, farming, not just a simple life. They understand farming and recreational land use for the hunters. That's where you need to go. Mississippi Land Bank. Yesterday, Florida had a come-from-behind win over South Carolina. A lot of people, because it was an early game, were watching it in the uh, uh, press box at Alabama. And it was a heck of a ball game, wasn't it? I, you know, it was one of those that um, it, it, you look up there and all of a sudden South Carolina is up 14 nothing on Florida. And you think, oh, I, holy cow, they're going to blow them out on their own field. But Florida dug in. It was a 21-14 game at halftime. But then at one point it was what thirty-one to fourteen, and and then Florida reels off twenty-one points to finish the game, comes from behind and wins it thirty-five thirty-one. A great ball game. There's a great ball game back and forth. Fourteen fourth quarter points for uh, Florida. Um, Felipe Franks kind of maligned. Certainly didn't have a great game. He's fifteen of twenty-one, one hundred sixty-one yards, uh, and a touchdown. But he had two rushing touchdowns to go with it. Sixteen carries, thirty-six yards. I thought Kadarius Tony was good. He made a bunch of plays. You saw him. He had a touchdown, but he had a few runs where he was really physical, and he kind of set the physical tone for some of his teammates in a comeback. So uh, that's a nice win for Florida. They go to seven and three. South Carolina drops to five and four. Missouri with a win at home over Vanderbilt, thirty-three twenty-eight. And that was a good game too. Missouri trailed uh, at one point in that game, so Missouri gets bowl eligible. They're six and four. Vanderbilt is uh, now four and six, and yeah, Vandy was up early. Uh, it was fourteen-seven uh, after the first quarter, and then they led twenty-one thirteen at halftime. Vanderbilt was up twenty-one thirteen at halftime, and I think at one point they might have been up twenty-eight thirteen. They scored there in the third quarter, but um, you had twenty points kind of to finish out the ball game for Missouri. They put up 13 in the third quarter and uh, and then had a fourth quarter touchdown that um, put them up 33-28. Drew Locke completed a drive. Well, it was a touchdown run, not a pass, but he ran it in, and they got the win. So they're going to go play in the postseason. Uh, Texas A&M and Ole Miss had a good ball game. It was kind of back and forth there for a while. I was trying to keep up with it, but uh, it was just watching um, – uh, some of the game on my iPad. Uh, A&M was up early, 7-zip. The Ole Miss defense getting off the field. And then 14 second-quarter points for Ole Miss tied the ball game. It was 14-14 at uh, halftime. Was it the third quarter? Yeah, third quarter, A&M is marching all the way down the field. They're going to score, right? About to go in. And right there on the goal line, the quarterback, Kellamon fumbles it. Zedrick Woods picks it up, returns it 96 yards for a touchdown, and it gave Ole Miss a 21-14 lead there in the third quarter. But right after that, A&M trailing 21-14. They come back. They put a drive together, go down and throw a touchdown pass, tied the game at 21 going into the fourth quarter, and then they kind of turned it on in the fourth quarter. They got a field goal drive. Took the lead 24-21. They put together another touchdown uh, drive that ended in a touchdown pass. Went up by 10-31-21. Ole Miss missed a field goal in there, and then they hit one. After, I think they had back-to-back field goal attempts. Hit one, made it 31-24, but <clears throat> kind of the nail was with about a minute and a half left in the ballgame. Travion Williams reeled off a 46-yard touchdown run 
and uh, Texas A&M goes to uh, – they win 38-24. They're 6-4 and four now in the league, so they're bowl eligible too. And Ole Miss falls to 5-5 five and five, uh, on the year. Maybe the surprise in the SEC was uh, this Tennessee-Kentucky game. I mean, I don't know that anybody saw this coming. Tennessee whipping Kentucky 24-7. to And Kentucky – the thought is that the wheels kind of were off for them. Once they lose to Georgia, they don't have anything to play for. And maybe there's some truth to that. You know, whether they win or lose this game, they're probably in the same bowl slot with the uh, way we have it. But Kentucky is 7-2 and they were seven and two going in there, now 7-3 and three after this 24-7 loss to Tennessee. But Tennessee, with the win, is now 5-5, five and five, and they're one win away from bowl eligibility. Jarrett Garantano threw it well, 12 of 20, two touchdowns and 197 yards. They uh, got 89 yards rushing out of Chandler, got a touchdown and 63 yards on the ground from Jordan. And uh, so they played you know, pretty well. For Kentucky, Benny Snell, I mean, he had a pretty good day, 20 carries, 81 yards, but he, the, the team did not have a rushing touchdown. Their one touchdown was in the air. Terry Wilson was 21 of 34, 172 yards a touchdown and a pick. And when you, when Terry Wilson's throwing the ball 34 times in a game, there's a pretty good sign right there that they're not doing uh, really what they need to do as a team offensively. So so Tennessee, in the first year of Jeremy Pruitt, they're 5-5 five and five and they're one win away from bowl eligibility at Tennessee. And they have Missouri coming to Knoxville this week. And then next week they finish at Vandy. So it's Missouri and Vandy uh, left for Tennessee to try to get to bowl eligibility and then last night uh georgia the 27 to 10 win over auburn i don't think anybody really should be or is surprised by that outcome georgia's nine and one auburn falls to six and four 27 10 so auburn only 10 points in the ball game and they were all in the first half their only touchdown was in the first quarter georgia had a big second quarter where they took control of the game they were trailing in the second quarter uh but they took control of the game with 17 points you know, but nobody's surprised that ultimately Georgia at home and their defense are able to kind of shut down Auburn's offense, which has just struggled uh, throughout the year. Uh, nobody really surprised by that. Look at uh, some stats in the ball game for Auburn and Georgia on the box score. Uh, Jarrett Stidham, 24 of 36, 163 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. So a lot of completions on quite a few attempts, a really nice percentage. But very little production, right? I mean, you go 24 completions for 160 yards. I mean, it's a bunch of short throws that don't go anywhere. Um, And the leading rusher in the game for Auburn was Shivers with 43 yards on four carries. This rushed for 102 yards as a team. A total of 274 yards of offense for Auburn. Just not nearly enough. Jake Fromm was pretty good, pretty productive. Uh, 13 of 20, 193 yards, threw two touchdown passes, did have an interception. But the star of the game was DeAndre Swift. 17 carries, 186 yards, and a touchdown for Georgia. And Georgia's done with SEC play. They got a non-conference coming up this week, somebody, and then they finish up against Georgia Tech. So they're done in terms of SEC regular season until they're going to face Alabama in the SEC title game. And uh, not a beautiful game by any stretch, uh, but LSU on the road at Arkansas and Fayetteville, a 24-17, to 17, you know, one touchdown win over Arkansas. So LSU goes to 8-2, and two, Arkansas falls to 2-8. and eight. 
Joe Burrow, 15 of 21, 195 yards and a touchdown. On the other side, Ty Story, who uh, – mark my words, y'all. If he stays healthy, Ty Story for Arkansas is good. Okay? He's good. 19 of 38, 200 yards, two touchdowns, did have an interception. Arkansas ran the ball for 16 yards against the LSU defense. Boyd had 10 for 30, but the sacks and negatives bring it all the way back. 19 carries for 16 yards as a team in the ballgame. Brissett for LSU was good. 23 carries, 90 yards, and a TD. And Edwards-Alaire, 17 carries for 56 yards and a touchdown uh, in the ballgame. Not a lot of offense, but a touchdown win. A win is a win. Get your eighth win of the year. And there it is. There it is. And so this was the final weekend of the year where we have nothing but SEC on SEC league games. The rest of the way, the last two weeks, it's a whole bunch of of, uh, non-conference games. All right, that's Sunday Morning Quarterback Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Brought to you by Farm Bureau and Mississippi Land Bank. We'll see you next week. See you. Thanks for listening.